Hi everyone, um, welcome back to another episode uh, of the Insurance Couch. Um, it'll be our last episode of uh, this fine year. Um, and again, we're recording on a morning. Um, Oli, how are you this fine morning? I'm fine, thank you very much. It's uh, indeed, it's a, it's a morning. It's a, I'm sorry, it's a foggy and cold morning in Zurich. <clears throat> Excuse me, you hear that in my voice as well. That is foggy, yes. Um, so as... Um, uh, and I, th I think we're probably in good company, but um, we felt it's it's a fun topic to kind of look a little bit back on um, what 2023 uh, did, but really have a look at what we think is going to happen in 2024. Um, and um, we've picked some 15 <laughs> topics. Um, we, we tried to... We also tried to do 10 um, as you did, but we, we landed on 15 and so bear with us. Um, so um, we'll go through them um, one by one, but um, Oli, how, how do you want to get us started on this one? Well, I, I think it's it's worth mentioning that some of the topics we agree uh, on what will be or could be happening in 2024 uh, and some we agree to disagree um, as with many. I think it's important um, that you know, we're still insurance um, and typically, you know, the, the, the entire market doesn't change within a year. So no matter whether it's 23, 24, 25, or 33, you know, we won't see an, an you know, a, a revolution uh, in insurance. And so my first topic um, is actually that none of the hype topics we've seen in 23 is going to reach a breakthrough in 24. Um, and, you know, let's, let's name a couple of hype topics. Um, it's been a, obviously AI, right? Um, generative AI, um, large language models, not a single press conference or analyst conference where the CEO or the CFO didn't mention how much they use generative AI and ChatGPT and how much this will change and has changed their insurance. Um, and, you know, that's hype. Um, and, and I totally understand why they're doing it, because if, the, if you don't do it in a press conference or analyst conference, your share price will go down or your board will, will rumor or your your uh, your owners uh, will will pick up the phone and call you, but let but let's agree it's a hype, right? Um, and and this will not have a breakthrough in 2024. Um, there's this story going around that Ping An a couple of years ago um, got rid of 200 of their 280,000 call center agents because they replaced them with a chatbot, and no matter whether that's true or not, we will not see such a thing in 24 for any insurance company in the world. Um, and so it's it's going to stay a hype. You'll see it more in press conferences and and uh, and, and analyst conferences, um, but no no such thing will happen like mass layoffs uh, because people will be replaced by Gen AI or so. Um, another, you know, another hype topic um, probably was embedded insurance, um, um, oftenly combined with uh, the a little older ecosystem hype buzzword. Um, and again, you know, we won't see a breakthrough in, in 2024. We will see more partnerships, um, maybe a, a small little shift towards embedded. I'm not even sure about that, uh, but there won't be a breakthrough. There won't be, you know, uh, brokers or, or tight agents will not close down because they're run over by embedded insurance. Um, what else have we had? We had pet insurance, um, a, a bit of an older topic. Um, it's been it's been driven a lot by JAB and, and their consolidation wave in 2023. I think they bought, I don't know, six, seven, eight pet insurers or, or MGAs. Um, we, we don't see that, um, you know, breaking through in 24. I guess the market will still grow. 
uh, at least in countries where it's not yet at uh, 60, 80 percent uh, penetration ratio, like in Sweden. Um, but there won't be a breakthrough. It's a small, it's a niche product. Um, it's profitable. To, well, not, not, not always profitable, but it's, it, it can be profitable. Um, we, we'll see it grow, but there won't be a breakthrough. Um, and so I think, you know, th this is the first, maybe, maybe a bit downer, um, but, you know, th these are hype topics um, and potentially they continue to be hype topics, but they won't change the earnings potential, the profit pools um, or, or the way we work in insurance in, in 2024. And and I think that's that's not that unexpected. Looking back at you know what you know the kind of insure tech um, results and and I wouldn't I don't even think it's a downer. I think it it just means that we we need to start and continue start placing certain bets, but with a longer return horizon than some other things. To me, this does not mean you know, close your eyes, put your hand in the sand and everything will be fine in 20 years time. To me, that is not that, right? So, um, but, but I agree, um, there needs to be, a, an insurance carrier is very hard to, or an in, in insurance change is very hard to just make a decision and then see the results. It's a very sluggish movement and it has to do with the customer, low touch product, um, you know, not 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 much. Um, you know, you cannot fake the life events on when to buy. You have distribution agreements in place, and so it, it just takes a lot of time um, when compared to I don't know. I would assume kind of fast moving retail goods. Yeah. Um, okay. So kind of coming to to second point, um, we will continue to see personal sales organizations thrive. So what we've seen. And not just last year, but you know, over the 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 couple of years, it's very hard and expensive to convince someone um, to to build trust with a customer. Personal sales organizations have built this trust over a long period of time. We've also seen that they manage to get a different type of customer cohort um, that is potentially less price risk price sensitive. Um, also claims potentially, you know, only claims that are that are real and that are not fraudulent, you name it. Um, but ultimately what we've seen in 2023, successful insurers have actually reinvigorated their investment and their support in personal sales organizations. And we will see a continuous expansion. And unless they grow on trees, that means poaching period yeah and and i mean on, on a grand scheme of things that's even more impressive as we will continue to see the number of tight agents go down right we've seen that over the last 10 20 years um a, a very steep if you if you, if you look at over, over that time period a very steep um reduction in in number of tight agents i think 30 or 40 percent in the last 20 years or so that's quite a number and yet they upheld or even increased the market share and so that, i think that's even more impressive that we see we will see continue this continue to continue in 2024 number of tight agents will go down their market share or, or the, the the share of wallet will go up or at least stay constant um, which I think is very impressive, um, and it's probably driven by technology that enables our tight agents to, to you know, advise more customers per person. Um, but also, and we've, we've touched upon this in in another um, episode of the of the um, insurance couch, 
uh, but it's driven by new formats of tight agents, right? Um, away from the mom and pop store in the small little villages um, that that know their customers from, I don't know, the football club or the tennis club or wherever, um, more towards other formats of, of tight agents that, that, that tend to operate regionally or even, even uh, nationally um, and, and built on single customer groups or products um, or, you know, larger um, uh, tight agent tight agencies with specialists. So we, we see a, a productivity increase in tight agents, uh, which will result, as you said, um, in, in an increased importance, even though the number of tight agents will go down. And I think obviously we are, this is primarily true for um, retail and micro SMEs. As you true. go into larger SMEs and corporate, this, this, this changes. But I think one of the interesting points, and this was also something I've learned um, last year is that at least in, in Germany and, and um, this will, I believe, hold true in many other Western European markets, it's you don't, customers are fine to have a lot of insurance with one insurer. They just ultimately want to trust someone to organize their, yes. their stuff for them. They don't, and we'll go into that a little bit um, in, in, in the second point, whilst there is a very price sensitive comparative group we're nowhere near what we've seen in the UK um, on, on this. And so what it just seems to be that a lot of customers just want to trust someone to deal with their insurance. And that doesn't necess necessitate an ongoing comparison of, of your retail products, which incidentally adds a lot of complexity to your operation and to your sales flow and your explanation, because it's quite hard to truly compare apples and pears in, in some insurance products. Um, so I think that's also an interesting learning here that choice in that matter, insurance might be a product where you don't really want that much more choice as long as you can have a trusted advisor that can sort this thing out for you. Absolutely. Um, and you said it correctly. Uh, I think customers, it's not, it's not even about choice. It's, it's about being informed by somebody. They want to learn or they want somebody to handle this for them, as you said. Um, and that actually brings us to the next point, which is we believe that in 2024, digital sales um, are still at their plateau. There's no, there's no, there's no way for them to, to excel this. Um, and I know we've been saying this for 20 years now, you know, digital sales will, it will erase all the personal sales, but it won't happen in 24 either. Um, the, the only countries and situations we've seen that happening um, as you said is for example uk where the regulator basically forced this to happen because they by regulation basically stopped um, personal advice because it just wasn't worth it um, um they they introduced a cap or a, a plus a, you know... forced um forced active renewal i mean there's yeah, another absolutely. if you force everyone True. to get a new insurance offer yeah irrespective of whether you want one then you're kind of going, well, if I'm getting this offer right, why not look? So I think there's two, yeah, there's, there's, that drives it as well. Because yeah, if you if you have to look at things, then at that point, okay, I might as well compare. Yeah, true. You're right. You're right. It's a combination of, of having to actively renew your contract and you know, limiting the commissions in a way that it's, it's, you know, it's just not a good deal for any advisor to advise a, a normal customer on insurance because it's just not worth the time. Um, and so this basically forced um, consumers to to go another road and then and to inform themselves and then to to realize that insurance for them is a commodity and commodities are, are, are purchased on price 
Um, and this, this is what, what we've seen in in, uh, in digital sales throughout the world, right? It's a it's a price game. It's a margin game where you know you address consu a consumer group that has informed themselves about insurance. They've they've ruled for themselves that this is a commodity. It's it's not relevant whether I insure at AXA, Allianz Generali, or someplace else. Um, and so I you know it's it's wisest to to purchase on price. Um, that's a certain segment. If you don't force it as a as a as a as a regulator. This segment is, you know, depending on the on the line of business, between five and twenty percent of the population, um, and that's where it stays. And in most developed countries, we've reached that plateau um, of, you know, five to twenty percent, and it's not going to go any further without regulatory measures, like in UK or in in the Netherlands. Um, but we don't see them in for twenty twenty four, so we don't we don't think that that anything of this will happen. Agreed. Agreed. So, but the interesting thing is those two things will merge. Um, so, you know, digital becomes hybrid, you know, however you want to, you want to call it, but the, whilst digital sales, um, and I think that's interesting. So, so when we say, when, when, when we say digital sales plateaus, it means customers who want to kind of self-serve. Now, the truth is a lot of these let's say an aggregator is already a hybrid model it's not fully self-serve and digital they already have people and provide decent advice it's just not I mean, it's actually good advice if you kind of go through as far as kind of advice goes um and so they've already been hybrid but what we've also seen is that um insurance companies have found ways to um merge digital and their existing um, advisory um, could could be telesales you know they're different uh, we've 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 mentioned it different tide agent toms um with some of the benefits um and kind of merging both 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 angles and then the whilst every insurance company will have to find their own blend on a high level you know simple products could be potentially uh, directly sold without intervention however um providing a 360 degree view and 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 trying to finally get the holy grail of cross selling is very unlikely to be just hacked by a marketing department um and so we'll see um those successful um playbooks of this emerging and proliferating because we've seen a series of successful playbook playbooks emerging at least in the German market uh, away from just PowerPoint slides because that's the um, that's the hard part. Um, I think on the fifth topic, as we're on on distribution, and here um, let's let's see there there might be a bit of a discussion. Um, <laughs> embedded insurance will absolutely continue to grow. I was recently at an event and was asked, "Is insure is embedded insurance is the hype is the hype already through?" Um, and to me. Um, the hype in the sense of talking about it, a little bit like Gen AI, hopefully is through. And now it's just the tough work uh, to be done. It's to identify, you know, your distribution play, identify the type of products, identify how these different um, operating and requirements fit into your existing organization. And we'll see a lot more of these plays um, come to fruition as many insurance companies have made decisions one to two years ago to kind of get into the game and benefit from some of the tailwinds of 
platforms aggregating more uh, customers, profitability all of a sudden being interesting and relevant also for platforms, um, and lower costs of designing such products um, as they might have been five to 10 years ago. Um, so it will absolutely grow. But Oli, we have, <laughs> it's one of the points we disagree on yeah i mean i i try to look beyond the the buzzwords and the, and the press conferences where obviously you know so much insurers announce the partnership with so great companies uh, you know uh, every now and then we hear people insurer talking about hey, we, we now sell our policy through amazon amazon obviously is a great name but when you look through the the, the buzzword you know i don't see much happening uh, many of the programs that have been or that that are announced um have been already there right if, if wacom announces to have one another you know, um, automotive bank in Italy, I don't know, Mercedes Bank, uh, Mercedes Benz Bank or so, th th this bank has worked with somebody else before. There's a reason actually this other insurer hasn't continued to work with them um, in Italy. So it's typically not new programs, but programs switching from A to B. And then B obviously announces with a lot of words in a press conference that they won partner um, A. Um, and, and this is now a, a significant part of their business. But you know, that's not growth. That's just switching distribution channels. That's like if I hire or if I take away a broker that typically you know, uh, has sold your products, Nick, um, and, and, and persuade him or her to, sell, to now sell my products. Um, that's number one. Number two, if I look at the total market share, you know, typically if you measure, not, not many countries measure market shares of distribution channels, but if they do, like for example, Germany does, you know, embedded insurance is typically part of what they call partnerships. And even partnerships where, you know, embedded plus non-embedded, you know, if you sell, if you put somebody in a car dealership, um, that's a partner sale, but it's not embedded, obviously, because, well, you, you embed your sales agent into the, the, the car dealership, but that's not what we mean about with embedded, obviously, Nick. Um, and so it's part of partnerships. That partnership sales is even, it's still not big enough for Germany, at least, to hit a single, you know, distribution channel category. So this is subsumed under others, right? Which makes up 3% of all market of, of all the, 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 the sales volume. So under other, there's partnerships. Under partnerships, there is embedded. So we're talking about zero point whatever percent market share and distribution channels. You know, again, given given that the larger announcement I've seen in the market are typically partners that that switch from A to insurer A to insurer B. You know, I don't I don't see I, I don't see that this is a growing thing, right? And then there's new partnerships. And a lot of those new partnerships a year or two later, you know, I, I ask about the numbers and, you know, it's, well, it's, it's, been an, it's been a mistake, right? We both, we both thought it was easy to sell insurance, but in fact, it's not, guys. It's insurance. It's low involvement. People don't want to listen about, people don't want to think about insurance when they buy their Zara clothes or their H&M clothes or so, right? It's insurance. It's hard to sell. And it's, it's not like Zara, you hang, it on the, you hang it on the shelf and people pick it, right? Um, and so only very few, in my opinion, you know, only very few partnerships in embedded insurance are A, new, and B, turn out to be successful. And so I think it's a hype, um, and I don't see much growth. I see, I see partners switching from insurer A to insurer B. I see new partnerships that are buried a year or two or three latest. And I see very, very, very little new partnerships that work or partnerships that, that really increase their business because... You know, Mercedes doesn't sell more cars just because Wacom is now the insurer and not Allianz anymore. Um, and they don't, you know, they don't insure more of their finance cars just because Wacom is there and not Allianz because it's still, it's, they sell it under Mercedes-Benz insurance and nobody cares of the consumers whether Wacom or Allianz is behind that. So I don't see it growing, but I, I clearly see it as a hype. And obviously it's super chic 
um, to announce Mercedes-Benz or Amazon or or I don't know, Media Markt or, or, or Fresnup as your partner. It's it's super cool. Uh, you're a super cool CEO if you announce that. But I don't see the numbers coming together making any difference in any carrier, unless the carriers like Wacom who focus on it, but they basically take away business from other carriers that don't really focus on it. So, and and to me, it's um, the the question of market share and um, whether it it removes an insurer, you know, protection gap. Let's let's leave that out for now. I think from cool. an, um, I would say, and there's pl a plenty of examples as you've just mentioned, but there's also outside of Wacom, there's a plenty of kind of partnership business that does indeed contribute to the growth and um, potentially profitability aspirations of um, different insurance groups. And so the one thing I would say where we, I believe, agree on, if you want to do it, you need to do it right. You can, This is not something, it's not super easy. It's not, you'll just put a digital quote bind somewhere. If you want to do it and you see some of the more successful ones, they do intend, they do indeed need to um, bring something a little bit more to the table. And it's a di slightly different beast than what you know from your broker or agent channel, whether, you know, affinity, co corporation, partnership, embedded. Um, ultimately, I think it's tomato, tomato. It's to see, can you offer insurance products within a non-insurance specific customer journey. Um, and if you want to do it, you need to do it right. Otherwise leave, you know, leave it. Cool. So I think one of the other aspects that we're seeing um, with inflation being currently repriced into a lot of portfolios um, because of the lack of profitability. We will see more of the portfolio. That this, we'll expect a higher sensitivity of some customers to switch that previously might not been open for it because they haven't heard of their insurance carrier. They didn't have a claim. And now they're being slapped with a 10, 20% increase of, of, of claims. And that might leave them more open to to kind of switch their carrier because of a yeah personally um be, because because they felt that they didn't deserve a price increase because nothing has really changed on their end um i would imagine that these things happen more on and this can be across channels but obviously this is within brokers and tight agents this is be um an interesting opportunity to ruffle some feathers probably mainly within the direct channel because they, they deal with insurance. I, I, I'd hope so much for it to happen because what that means actually is that people deal more with insurance. You know, it's it's on their mind. It's top of their mind. Um, and, and, and you know, I've, I've been disappointed by reality so many times in my insurance life. I'm, I'm dealing with insurance every day. Obviously, it's top of my mind every day. But I'm disappointed so and so often by the reality where people that are not in the insurance industry just refuse to think about it um and just a very recent example my mom uh, she's, she's not really rich right she she lives off of her, you know, her widow pension from my dad and and you know inflation hits her very very hard right um she basically runs out of her money before the month ends 
And, you know, she calls me and, and asks me, can you, can you optimize my mobile phone contract, right? Uh, can we get some euros per month out of it? So, so I have longer, you know, with, with, with the money I, I, I have from, from the pension. But she doesn't, she, she doesn't have the idea to ask me, me, you know, the son who deals with insurance every day to optimize her insurance portfolio. Um, it's not on her mind. Now, even if, if she really has to, to, to bring things together to kind of to survive the end of the month, she doesn't think about insurance to save her a couple of euro uh, in order to, to, to make a better living. And so as long as this continues to be the case, that people are just refusing to think about insurance in every way, even if they send them you know, price increase letters by the month or by the, by the week, you know, I'm 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 not too optimistic, but I, I would sure hope that that you know people will you know switch to to cheaper insurance carriers because that's a sign of life. That's a sign of of where we're getting to towards a a bit higher involvement product because we are such an, a low involvement product. You can't even overestimate how low involvement we are, and that's that's the disappointing thing that that's been that's been with me throughout my career in insurance. It's it's whenever I think. Hey, this is the first sign that that people are getting involved with us a bit more than than they used to. I'm typically disappointed a month or two later because it's just uh, um, it's yeah it's it's not a, a true sign. It's um, we we're low involvement um, beyond the twenty percent of people we've talked about that are actively dealing and informing themselves about insurance. I I agree. I think if if we see more engagement, more movement in the market, that ultimately will give tailwinds to everyone in the insurance industry who has hypotheses and opinions about how to improve but might have been empirically just frustrated because the customer just still doesn't care and then you'll kind of as you're allocating uh, scarce resources internally you kind of go yeah but you know if the customer doesn't care what would you know let's just kind of stick to what we know they they, they don't care about uh, rather than, um, you know, burning our policyholders money uh, trying to change them. Um, so I think, yeah, if they if they truly change, that could make uh, an interesting um, um, change um, incentive uh, within insurance companies of how to allocate certain resources. Yeah, that would change things, I guess. Um, let's go to a couple of uh, products, potentially. Um... I, I believe that life insurance will continue to have a hard time in 2024 in developed countries. We're not talking China, India or so. Um, I think that that has a couple of reasons. A, a structural reason where life insurance companies, at least when it comes to savings, um, more and more refuse to take any risk, right? Um, when, when, when I started savings insurance in life, you know, life took over the, the, the risk of guaranteeing you a minimum return. Um, and they typically spread this ac across generations, right? There's very, very solid returns, no ups and downs, like in the capital markets, super sexy because, you know, you had your one, two, three, four, even 5% return per annum. Um, and, and again, you know, I was willing to, to bind myself to a life insurance company's company for 20 or plus years because I knew that this is a generational well, exchange basically, where generations that live through a high in in interest environment would give up a bit of their return, um, and generations that live through a lower interest environment would receive some of that return. So that was a product that I understood, and where where I understood that you know life insurance is taking some risk. Now, when I when I look at saving products, it's basically it's unit linked. You know, nobody, almost no life insurance is is offering guaranteed products anymore. 
And yes, some offer guarantees to get their unit link products. They typically do this with investment banks, but but they, they typically try to go out of this, right? And they try to sell, you know, your, your upside is much higher if you don't have a, a guarantee. And so, you know, structurally, life, saving life, in, life insurance, savings uh, contracts have basically turned into asset management contracts, not much more. And, and compared to asset management, life insurance just have a higher cost base and so it's basically asset management products with a higher cost base. Now, why would I buy this, right? That's a structural reason. The non, the, the kind of the most cyclical reasons are, you know, obviously as, as life insurers have had to go through the, the, the interest rate down cycle, buying very long-term fixed interest investments, they now have a hard time getting out of this. A, they have hidden, hidden um, uh, losses and B, they can't sell it uh, because they have to realize hidden losses. And so it takes them much longer to offer the new interest, the higher interest rates that are now in the market. Whereas banks you know, can offer them right away on their savings accounts or so, life insurers can't. So, you know, a cyclical thing is for a couple of years now, life insurance companies will offer lower interest rates for savings products than banks can. Um, and, and and I think the third, the third reason is, you know, inflation, as you said before, Inflation hits people hard and life insurance or saving products in general uh, are typically one of the first products that 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 realize that you know this is this is hitting people and people are, are, are trying to save in their you know long-term savings, pension savings. And so, you know, um, those three reasons I think will make it a very difficult year for life insurance in 2024, as it has been in 23. What about other products? Um, there's a, a very recent development on payment protection in Germany. It's a very German-specific um, regulation, I think. Um, as some of you uh, know, the European Union has issued a renewed directive on consumer credits. Um, so that's nothing to do with, with uh, insurance um, at the moment. Um, it's on consumer credits. And the, basically, the, the, the reason or the purpose of this, this new regulation um, is to protect consumers from over-indebtedness. Um, and to basically reduce the costs of a, of a consumer loan because in some countries it's become very high. Um, now, you know, historically in many countries, there's been an upper limit to uh, consumer loan interest rates. Um, in, in Germany, I think it was around 12% or so. Uh, in other countries it's different, but you know, there, there's always been, um, uh, oh, that's, for, for a, a longer period of time, there's been a cap on, on, um, on insurance, or on, on interest rates of on consumer loans. Now, what banks have done instead, and now insurance comes into place, um, they've sold many you know, cons consumers together with their loans, they sold them a payment protection insurance. What that means is if, you, if you're not able to afford the repayment of your loan because you're unemployed or sick or, or whatever, um, dis disabled, you know, we pay that, that loan for you. Um, and that insurance has been very costly. Um, it's it's it could be a good thing, right? If if this insurance covers a lot of of uh, of, of reasons why you can't pay, repay your debt, um, and and it, it saves you from ins from private insolvency, that's a good thing. However, that was not the case in many countries. Um, the the terms and conditions were so limited that those insurance contracts hardly paid a claim, right? Claims ratio is typically below twenty percent. Some cases even below ten percent. Um, so that means that 90% of that payment protection insurance goes to someplace else. It goes to the admin costs and the profit of the insurance company, but it mainly goes to commissions to the banks that sells it, right? Um, we've seen 50, 60, 70, up to 80% commission ratio. So you pay 100 
as a consumer on payment protection insurance, 80 of those 100 go to the bank as a commission. And obviously the bank basically pushed that a lot. Um, they, they took it as, as a replacement of the, the interest rate, which has been capped at some point. Uh, and they just tried to get in more money um, through the payment protection insurance. In fact, in Germany, um, payment protection insurance market is believed to be around 4 billion euro. Um, and much more than 2 billion euro go to banks in, 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 in terms of, uh, of a, a um, commission. Now, the payment, the, 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 the consumer uh, credits directive of the European Union doesn't say anything specific about payment protection insurance. It does, however, have the target to reduce the cost of, of consumer loans. And so the German legislator decided explicitly to tackle payment protection insurance. And what they've done in their local transformation of the European directive, which every country is allowed to be stricter, but not less strict than the European directive, right? Germany has decided to be a bit stricter than the European directive. And what they've introduced is a seven day grace period between the sale of a loan and the sale of a payment for protection insurance, right? So you take the loan on Monday, and the bank is not allowed to, to, to advise you to buy a payment protection insurance before Monday next week, right? Um, and wherever this has happened, this has happened before. Germany is not the first country to do this. Wherever this has happened, payment protection insurance market has dropped by as much as 90%, you know, which tells you how, how good banks were at cross-selling this at the point of sale. Some banks even refused to give you a loan if you don't purchase payment protection insurance from them or from their insurance partner. And so obviously banks and payment protections insurers are, are panicking uh, in Germany that they're trying to lobbying the government and, 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 and you know, kind of getting, getting rid of this, this new legislation in Germany. But if it stands, we believe that payment protection insurance in Germany is dropping dead, um, is reducing by 80 to 90%. Because you know that tells you if, if you have a week to think, and then banks are uh, you know coming towards you and say, "Hey, Nick, you've purchased a, a consumer loan from me last Monday. What about a payment protection insurance?" People won't won't buy. And so it's a it's it's a product that that has been very profitable on banks as well as insurance balance sheets, um, but that the German government decided to limit um, because they want to protect the consumer. Uh, in terms of cost of their of their consumer loans, um, and so if this regulation stands, PPI will drop. And so, and I, I believe that the effects of it were 2025. So 2024 um, will be an interesting conversation about how to invigorate bank assurance. Quite frankly, um, as you've said this. Um, I've also heard about uh, one of the large insurance brands to wanting to sell off their portfolio because yeah. of their experience with what happened in the UK. And so there's definitely going to be a market shrinkage, which does not mean that the product in and of itself and certain specialists are, are interesting. What, when I've discussed this with some of the experts, I thought they were, they actually said, this is very interesting because this now allows us to one, um, focus more on telesales or advice, um, not just for PPI, but for kind of insurance products within the bank insurance channel in general. And in a way, if you can convince someone of PPI, you can convince them of almost anything. Um, but but my from a from a positive note, I think, or again, 
in the opportunity within this is to have conversations with your banking and um, loan partners about um, how to provide better insurance products, um, different types of insurance products, also combined with sales, and thus kind of taking some of the themes we've had, digital goes hybrid, embedded insurance, this to me can work quite nicely within bank assurance because now you have, it's all, you, you have something that you've lost that you now need to regain. You have one year to do so. And so I would, um, I would, I would think that banks might be a little bit more open to some um, more involved ideas about how to offer insurance than they have been previously simply to save their what was it? Two billion in commission income per annum that was probably accounted for and planned for. Yes. Cool. Um, so on that note, profitability does matter, not just on the, as we've mentioned, not just on the, uh, and we'll go into that both on the product level, but in general, what we've seen is that the time to play innovation theater thankfully, probably not on Gen I, there's probably still a little bit of theater, but largely has been um, discontinued. And ultimately, um, insurers want to see returns on certain investments, on certain initiatives, and show a path within 12 to 18 months. Um, and to me, that just means, you know, there's, there's very few things that you cannot slice in such a way with a little bit of patience that that can um, that that is feasible, or at least in 12 to 18 months, you realize, thank God we didn't spend more. So to me, it's actually a very positive thing. Um, and it's a level way of a sign of growing up um, rather than just, you know, go big or go home. I agree. And uh, you know, don't be fooled of how this will be coming. It, it, it will be coming in form of price increases to the customer, right? Um, we'll on see, the product side, yes, yes. On the product side, yes. On the product side, we will see heavy price increases um, in twenty four compared to twenty three. Um, there's there's a couple of major lines of business where PNC insurers have become unprofitable. Um, in Germany, that's mainly motor and buildings, um, two very large lines of businesses where you know profitability has been very very bad, poor in in twenty three, or will be uh, as it's not yet over. Um, and at the same time, you know, reinsurers have not been really profitable and are hit hard by net cat events and stuff. And so what happens is reinsurers pull out of the reinsurance market um, in terms of higher attachment points. So there's need to be, there needs to be a, 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 you know, a more severe flood before the reinsurance um, contract kicks in. Um, we've seen that in many European mid-sized net cat events um, this year. You know, we had a flood in Italy, uh, we had a flood in, I think it was, um, um, was it Slovenia, wherever, you know, where most reinsurers haven't been hit at all because all the, already in beginning of 23, they, they started to go up with their, what we call attachment points, uh, like the, 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 the severity of, of, uh, of a claim where the reinsurance contract hits and they will continue to go up there. Um, at the same time, they will increase prices. And so you get less coverage for more price, which bill, which means more of the losses of the dangers of the risks will stay on the primary insurance books, which are already 
low profitable or unprofitable in many cases. I mean, in general, a PNC insurer is happy to make two, three, maybe 4% margin on the gross written premium, right? And so if you have more lines of business tipping into the negative, um, like you will have, you will see with motor and, and buildings this year, potentially legal insurance, um, you know, it's, 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 it's time for, 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 for increasing prices. There's, there's no other way. We, we've had this in another um, insurance couch episode. You know, you can reduce coverage, um, but that's unfair. And that's not socially wanted, actually. Or you can increase price. And we will see the latter. Um, and we will see it big time next year. Agreed. Um, kind of moving on to the 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 other point, you know, obviously you can try to manage claims. Um, I would say that and leaving out all the um, necessary, um, you know, infrastructure investments on how to how to fix claims, uh, because what we're seeing, you know, in 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 two thousand twenty four, I would say there's there's really from a lot of the conversations, there seem to be kind of two, two quick wins that haven't been focused on. Um, and there's probably a lot more. Um, but one is um, investment in high-frequency claims. You know, these would be insurance products, Oli, that you don't really consider real insurance products, and some might agree. But, you know, these are your uh, mobile phone, travel, pet, bike, um, PPI, clearly not. It's a low, you know, we, we've learned um, they don't claim that much, um, but we've we've seen these kind of smaller ticket insurances that also lead to a higher claims frequency. But um, whilst easy to offer and easy to calculate, potentially, they're not as easy to manage. And so go ahead. I, I, I actually, I mean, I must say the highest claims frequency we see in health insurance, private health insurance, which I consider to be the most, by far the most important insurance of all. And so I don't want to be unfair. Um, higher claims frequency doesn't automatically mean it's not an insurance. Um, the yeah. most important insurance of them all is actually offering the highest claims frequency. And, and um, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and it just kind of goes to show we all have you know, I was kind of thinking PNC because that's what I've what I've seen. But you're absolutely right. Um, if if anything, and and there is some improvement to be made even on those. Um, anyone who who kind of goes into into those in, in engagement is is interested on on how much time the insurer and you spend on a seventy euro claim. That clearly cannot be in. Well, maybe it's intentional. I don't know, but it 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 seems like a waste of money. Um, but it's it's really on the high frequency claims. Um, and some other interesting developments on um, on obviously identifying fraud, but potentially using some behavioral um, psychology in the mix, where some people might actually self-report or just be honest about claims um, where some interesting use cases have emerged in 2023. Um, but just to kind of, and there's lots, lots more and lots of projects that, that make sense. And as we've always said, claims is where you obviously can and should invest a lot because that's so much of your cost base. Having said that, if you're only paying out 20% as a loss ratio, is it really still an insurance product? No. Right. Um, now, kind of going a little bit into uh, zooming out a little bit, and this is a this has been a theme of us from previous episodes. We continuously see 
the trend to value distribution over risk carrying capacity will continue um, because we continue to see that is where differentiation happens. That's the hard stuff. It doesn't, there seem to be enough balance sheets around. Let's leave out some speciality lines. Um, I know anything to add to that. No, it's it's the darling of, of private and public investors. Um, they're not hit by inflation. They're not hit by net cat. Um, they're a bit potentially hit in the life and, and health, well, in the life um, 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 LOBs. But no, it's it's the darling and it continues to be the darling. And it seems to be, and even if you're not wanting to sell to a private equity investor or are not stock listed, it just gives you some level of, of it, it might still be worth to understand the reason why and where you allocate your resources and how you build value and a differentiative positioning um, for yourself. And we've kind of alluded that some insurers find that in building out their own proprietary distribution channels. Yeah, um, we'll see it on the labor market, I believe, in 24, as you know, strong distribution channels, strong brokers will be able to hire a way underwriters, salespeople from insurance companies just through higher salaries, which has not been a thing of the past, right? In the past, you know, Zurich, Allianz, AXA, Generali. That's where you paid. More salary to a sales agent or an underwriter than Aon um, um, or, or Marsh or whatever could. But this is turning around because a sales agent creates so much more value in terms of company value in a sales organization than doing the same thing in an insurance or reinsurance company that we have already seen in 23. And this will be a stronger trend in 24 that sales organizations are able to pay higher salaries or commissions or bonuses to salespeople, underwriters, and, and other productive people than insurance and reinsurance companies will do. And we, we, we will see that on the labor market. As if you'd known the next point, um, it's it's a perfect segue into why we believe MGAs are growing. And I think, bear, bear with me. I think the interesting thing is if you have, and now we're moving more into kind of commercial in, insurance a little bit, but if there's, there's a lot of capital in consolidating commercial brokers. Now, there's, 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 a, um, there's a thin line between a commercial broker and a commercial MGA. Um, now, if they can continue to, to fund their business within someone's um, growth imagination that is larger than, you know, our annual balance sheet or, you know, annual in, in, in analysts that want to have insurers as dividend stocks, you will, we will see these people poaching good underwriting talent, giving them a great platform and say, why do it for the man? You can become your own delegated authority business with different levels of entrepreneurship and some adjacent distribution. And quite frankly, you know, there's 10 places in town to get this capacity. And guess what? It doesn't have to be, you know, insert Alliance, AXA, whatever it is. And I think that is going to be really interesting because you have to get them with high salaries and a distribution point. Um, and we'll see um, a lot more. And, and what we've actually seen, there's already some of the, because of Brexit, some of the um, playbooks from the UK spilling over into continental Europe because they had to replicate their playbooks because they weren't able to sell directly from London anymore. So I think it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, plus, 
but as as we've said, an MGA is just a facility, right? Uh, it's not something that uh, is creates value in its own right. And um, you believe, and I think we've seen that um, just setting up an MGA doesn't mean that it's a great idea. I agree. Um, I think from this, M&A will pick up, um, you know, and it is on, let's say, from a certain vantage point, it seems like a great idea to pick up, you know, um, insurtechs or, or other um, entities of value because of repricing. Um, and there might be some gems out there. I would also just caution what you're actually buying. Yeah. Um, are you buying technology? Are you buying talent? Are you buying distribution access? And how much of that is linked to the actual current shareholder structure? Or might there be different ways of kind of um, mixing and matching these things? Um, but it does seem like a decent idea to at least look at some of these things because prices have gone down. Yeah, I agree. Um, but as you say, you know, be careful, not just what you buy, but what you will be able to utilize because yes. you might buy a great, buy great, some great stuff, but you're just not able to bring that into your organization. And, and if it's, if it's, if it stays there at the, at the very, you know, outskirt of your organization, that doesn't, that doesn't bring you much value. And so I think even more than, than looking at what you purchase is, can you digest what you purchase? Um, and exactly. Why are you buying it? Just correct. because, you know, are you, because are you just the better shareholder? Could be. Yeah. But, um, you know, why? Uh, what's the, what happens afterwards? Yeah. My personal opinion in 24, we will see some, uh, I'd say trophy acquisitions um, of, of InsurTechs. You know, InsurTechs with, with a big brand name, which have gone through the press where because of, I don't know, good good coverage or good funding rounds or so. And, and some insurance CEO basically acquiring this because it's cheap just as a trophy, just to say, look, guys, you've written so much about this thing um, and you've basically turned me down, although I run this great uh, insurance business. I'll just show you who the, who the big swinging guy is here, right? I'll, I'll purchase those guys from pocket money. Um, I, I think we'll see those things I don't see those things generating a lot of value at the insurance companies that purchase them. Um, I also think we'll see some, you know, insurtech M&As disguised, fire sales disguised as M&As. Um, we've seen a, a couple, quite a couple of a number of, of insurtechs being co-founded by, um, you know, by, by corporate VCs. Um, and I think some of those, players, some of those insurtechs are not doing very well. And before being you know, connected to a an, an, an insolvency, those insurance companies that are behind the corporate VC will just purchase the, the guys. I mean, Simple Insurance and Allianz is one example. And we'll see more of those. I think we'll see more of, hey, our corporate VC arm has invested already. Now we've decided to take this over because it's such a huge traction, blah, blah, blah. You'll see a big story around it, but don't be fooled. This is an M&A, this is a fire sale disguised as an M&A. And we'll see a couple of those in 24 as insurtechs are running out of money and insurances are either trying to, to uphold their reputation because they don't want to, you know, associate it with a, with a, with a bankruptcy or want to pick up a, a, a cheap deal just for marketing or trophy reasons. 
Um, I think we both believe, and we said that that the, the broker consolidation, broker acquisition, M and A will continue to to um, thrive in brokers. And I also think we 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 agree that there will still not be a huge consolidation in insurance carriers games, right? There we will we'll, we'll see a couple of mergers. You know, Gothar, Barmania in Germany will be one, um, but it's not it's not going to be a big trend. Um, and and it's it's typically. If if one of of the the partners has difficulties, um, or you know, a, a, again a trophy um, acquisition or merger for one or two CEOs, um, but it's not changing the the name of the game in insurance carriers. So what else is there to expect in twenty four, Oli? Well, I think you know this is not the typical podcast that that um, make will make you believe that everything will change in in a single year in insurance. I think we're both realistic enough and and long enough in the business, um, Nick, you and me, to see that there one single year will not change a whole lot in in the insurance space. Um, we're just too low of an involvement product. Um, people don't care about um, technological advances, um, about changes in the marketplace, um, and so. I think the best the best estimate actually if you want to if you want to know how end of 24 looks like in in the insurance industry is copy paste of end of 23. Uh, I don't think that major changes will happen in 24. It will look very very much the same or very very similar to end of this year, end of 23. Um we'll see a couple of of movements um but we won't see an entirely new industry with entirely new players with you know people all of a sudden you know, reaching out to inform themselves about insurance and and uh, and, and purchasing everything online. Um, so it, it'll look very much the same as end of this year. Awesome. Oli, I agree. Um, with a slightly more nuance on certain topics that do change. I've, I've, I've said my piece on those. Um, but uh, gentlemen and ladies, um, if we've missed a trend, um, that should have gone on the list. Uh, please feel free to comment uh, and discuss. And we wish you a great festive season and hope to see you on the circuit um, next year. And let's continue to make insurance a little bit better every day. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great year and uh, very nice holidays. Bye. Bye.